Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. This episode, we'll be discussing Coraline. First, we thought uh, we'd do a little introduction about ourselves, so... Uh, everyone can fully understand how unqualified we both are to, to be talking about anything. Um, but since it's a little strange to talk about yourself sometimes, we wrote a little uh, bio for each other. So uh, I don't know. Do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, also, we're dating, so I thought we'd oh, yeah. throw that out that's, there. Uh, that's kind of a big uh, That's factor. part of the thing. So I'm going to talk about Ian. Uh, Ian George is a kick-ass graphic designer living and working in Pittsburgh. He has a heart of gold, an eye for logos and illustration, and a low tolerance for bullshit. He's always loved movies and books, especially movies, and he's excited to discuss some of his favorites in our podcast. Oh, that was so nice. <laughs> um, okay, so I wrote, Adina is a full-time clerk at the West End branch of the Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh, and will be soon attending the University of Pittsburgh to get her degree in library science. When she's not doing... A, a podcast with me, uh, or drinking vinegar by the bottle. She's oftentimes reading five books at once, or cooking something delicious. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> also, I wanted to do something a little different, and um, it came out terribly, but also terribly great. What? I did a little Mad Lib for you. <laughs> what? Oh it's, my god. <laughs> uh, Love Letter Three from a website. Okay. And everything I put in was like related to you. Okay. And it's so terrible, but I love it. Oh, read it. Oh my god. Okay. Dear Adina, it has come to my vinegar that you are <laughs> the sweetest girl in the book. My neck starts dancing a beanie baby every time you speak. I would like to read if you want me to go to the Halloween with me next Saturday. If you slap, please sleep me at the park in four years. I laugh you and everything about you. Quickly, Ian. <laughs> Quickly. Oh my god, that's great. I love it. It's so terrible. Everybody listening has to figure out what the significance of all those words mean. Yeah. Uh, You know, the worst, the funniest one was it asked you to pick a day of the week. Uh Uh-huh. As if like any day would make it funnier than any other. Like, Yeah, that doesn't really add anything to it. Oh, he said Monday instead of Tuesday. (laughs) So yeah, that's just a little, a little glimpse at us. Yeah, so we, should we uh, talk about our uh, subject, our Coraline? Yes, yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, so Coraline uh, was pu- was written by Neil Gaiman and was published in 2002. Mm-hmm. And the movie adaptation uh, came out in 2009, uh, directed by Henry Selleck, who actually did um, The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, other two other Tim Burton stop-motion movies... Uh, and a lot of people think that Tim Burton directed The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, which he didn't. Which he, he didn't. Yeah. I guess we'll just start. With, uh, mm-hmm. Book or movie? Which was better? If you can uh, choose. So I don't know if I can choose for this mm-hmm. one uh, because I really love the book. I will always love the book. But uh, the movie, I think, did a really good job of portraying, you know, what Coraline is about. And I really like it. So this one's a little bit harder for me to choose. It's a really, really solid adaptation. Yeah. And the book actually, or the movie expands on the book. It does a In a bit. lot of ways, mm-hmm. in, in really good ways. Plus, it's really, really great stop motion animation. Oh my god, yeah. It is amazing. It was the first movie uh, Leica 
I think I'm pronouncing that right. L A I K A. Who did Box Trolls, Paranorman, mm-hmm. and um, Kubo and the Two Strings? Yeah. I guess starting at the beginning of the book slash movie, one of the oh, let's read the sure. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, sorry. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just want to read a summary of it for everyone listening. When Coraline steps through a door to find another house strangely similar to her own, only better, things seem marvelous. But there's another mother there and another father, and they want her to stay and be their little girl. They want to change her and never let her go. Coraline will have to fight with all her wits and courage if she is to save herself and return to her ordinary life. It's pretty good. It doesn't give away too much. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I think one of the... uh... One of the differences we can talk about early on is, and I don't think either story, either version says it explicitly, but Coraline of the movie definitely seems older than Coraline of the book. It's hard to tell how mm-hmm. old Coraline is. In the movie, it seems like she's maybe like 12, yeah. would you say? Yeah, 12 to 13, yeah. like preteen. Yeah, in the book, she could be like 8. Yeah. As young as eight. Um, so it's hard to tell. She could be any age almost. She, she certainly <laughs> seems, um, you know, trying to get her parents to uh, entertain her. Yeah. Which, which happens in the movie too, but uh, it seems more childlike. Yeah. In, She's a little more the, childish. In the book. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, before we get too far, uh, we should probably talk about how you were first introduced to the book yep. and how I was. So mm-hmm. so really cool story. Um, my sister, her fifth grade or sixth grade teacher actually read this story aloud to her class, which is really cool. And obviously he was a cool teacher. Um, but my sister liked it so much that she you know, came home and then she read the book out loud to me, which is a really sweet experience. Uh, and then just a few months ago, uh, I read the book out loud to Ian. Yeah. It was, you know, like for a week or so, we would, uh, you know, at night, she just read a chapter to me at night and it was really sweet. And it was a perfect length. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It was great. It was mm-hmm. it was a real cool way to experience that kind of book. Yeah. So go out and read a book out loud to somebody. Yes. Uh, highly recommend it. <laughs> um, back to the back to the story. Yeah. So another difference kind of at the beginning is, and they talk about it in the book, I think, but they don't weigh too heavily on it, mm-hmm. is they just moved to this house. Yeah, so, yeah, they just moved there. In the movie, it's like you see the moving truck, there's Mm -hmm. all these boxes. But in the book, um, they kind of mention that they recently moved there, like a couple weeks ago, but it's not really a big part of the story. No, and but in the movie for Coraline's character, it's the move that's almost as much of an issue for her as anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, her dealing with that, being away from friends, and it kind of like adds to the believability of her boredom a bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of her being kind of in this dull house and everything. And... Yeah, and having nothing to do. I mean, in the book and the movie, she explores the house. So yeah. it's like, you know, sh- they haven't been there that long. She doesn't know, like, how many doors are there and all that type of thing. So, so a... go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, a, an indifference from the book and the movie is the, the door that leads to the other apartment is really small in the movie. And in the book... It's just a regular sized door. Yeah, which I I really like in the movie though. That it's, it's like a crawl space, yeah. you know, like meant for children. Yeah, it's very inviting <laughs> to children. Yeah. And they also do more in the movie early on to kind of establish the foreboding oh, yeah. of the house. The opening sequence in the yeah. movie is really cool. I it's actually great. like that a lot. And the whole doll thing yeah. that starts the movie off is not in the book. That's one of no. the additions. Yeah. 
but it's creepy and cool. Yeah, and it ties into the buttons for eyes. Yeah. Um, and it kind of adds to intrigue a little bit early it's like on. like a voodoo doll almost. Yeah, know? yeah. And before she actually goes into the crawl space or before it's discovered, yeah. it kind of adds this air of... Um, like it's trying to lead her to it. Kind yeah, of, of. of unease mm-hmm. and curiosity. Um, so it was a really good plot device for the movie to introduce, I think. Something interesting about uh, the house that Coraline's in. So when Neil Gaiman was first writing this story, he was basing that door off of a real door that he had in one of the homes that he lived in as a child. So there was an actual full-size door that used to lead to uh, the rest of the apartment, but the house had been blocked up. So it was just bricked up, you know, and that gave him the idea to write about it. And then the interior of the house is based on the apartments that he lived in when he had two young uh, daughters that he was writing the book for. Yeah, the the setting is great. I think both in the book and the movie yeah but the movie it's so wonderful to see it like brought to life and i love the pink palace it's so funny it's so great (laughs) it's so wonderful yeah um and the thing i guess i'll I'll talk about animation a little bit yeah i I shouldn't say i don't know much about animation at all personally no Uh, we know a lot of people who do yeah Uh, so i have more of an appreciation for it because of that but i still don't know a whole lot um but one thing I love about this movie is it's stop motion, so it's very beautiful, but they really go far in the beginning to make the her home life really drab yeah. and gray. It's and always boring. gray and raining and like foggy outside. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and her house is super dull and boring. Yeah, and boring and it, it creates this really great contrast to when she does crawl through into the other world, into the other world, mm-hmm. um, where the kind of more uh, zany, vibrant stop motion, colors. vibrant colors. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that that and, contrast. Yeah, and how they accomplished that early on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Should we talk a little bit about YB now? Yeah, uh, I have mixed feelings about YB. Okay, I know why they did they put the character YB into the movie where he's not in the book. Um, Cause she kind of needs a friend Mm -hmm. and someone to talk to a lot of times. Um, But in the book, it's sort of like Coraline's on her own, you know, and she has to face all this on her own. She doesn't have anyone to help her. You know, YB doesn't come to help her in the end. You know, it's just sort of her trying to figure everything out. So I do like that in the book. I'm kind of in a similar position. Mm-hmm. I like her lonerness in the book. Yeah. But I do like YB in the movie, and I yeah. like him as a character. He's kind of goofy, nerdy, kind of almost kind of a creep, but yeah. like in almost a kind of compelling way a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they do establish him as a character, not just uh, a plot device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't hate him. You know, I don't, I hate him way less than another character like inserted into a movie that wasn't really in a book you know yeah yeah uh yeah and and yb kind of plays uh, a recurring role later on um well it's interesting because you know his part of his role is that his grandmother has kind of experienced this other mother thing before like she doesn't know it but you know she talks about her twin sister disappearing and having you know being afraid of the Pink Palace and not wanting YB to go there. So that that also kind of uh, intros the story 
and adds more to it in the movie. Yeah, and that, that kind of adds, once again, before she finds the door, it adds more intrigue. And he's yeah. the one who gives her the doll. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also I, I do like seeing Coraline interact with uh, another kid her age. Yeah. It kind of um, adds another dimension to her character. Well, because all the adults just are, like, ignoring her. You sure, know? yeah. And so it kind of shows you that she is pretty... Uh, kind of has a temper, is pretty yeah. strong-willed, like, mm-hmm. all from the beginning. And you know it's not just towards adults, it's kind of towards other people, too. Yeah. So I do like that you see her interact with other people her age. Uh, talking about her parents. Yeah. Uh, so in the book, they're kind of distracted. You know, they have their work. Should they just talk about how they do work on computers, so they're yeah. always home. Uh, and she's always trying to get them to play with her, do something. You know, she's still bored. But in the movie, they seem a little more malicious and neglectful of her than in the book. To an extent, yeah. I wouldn't say it's... Um, malicious. Yeah, going yeah. too far. <laughs> I think a bit. <laughs> yeah, neglectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to an extent. It, it's not... It's certainly within the realm of plenty of parents I've seen yeah. and the way they act towards their kids. That's where, true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely. But th- that kind of goes back to... Uh, kind of a theme more where Coraline's older in the movie than in the book. Yeah. And so I feel like it's kind of part of the, one of the themes of the movie is bridging this gap between her and understanding adults a yeah. bit more mm-hmm. and kind of understanding kind of this coming of age thing where uh, she understands adults just aren't there for her, mm-hmm. for her own uh, amusement and to kind of yeah. cater, to her, cater to her every need. And that, you know, and, and I, I do like that there's a part in... Uh, the movie where a little later on they go shopping. Mm-hmm. Coraline wants to buy these colorful gloves and her yeah. mom won't let her. Um, which, you know, it seems kind of mean at first. But then on the way back, you really see the mother kind of reaching out to Coraline. Trying. And trying Coraline to connect with her. sort of willful and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they do, they're fair, I'd say. The parents aren't just kind of these, you feel for them a little bit. Yeah. And you know they're trying. Yeah, the mom especially is really grumpy and kind of mean-ish in the beginning of the movie. Uh, In the book, you know, her parents are still kind of dismissive of her, but uh, it doesn't seem quite so antagonistic. But I get what they're trying to set up. You know, they're kind of trying to contrast Coraline's mom with the other mother, you know, because the other mother is like so friendly and wants to play with her and do all this stuff when she gets there. So I get that. Yeah, yeah, I just thought it kind of created in the movie a little more of an adult kind of arc for Coraline a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and all the uh, adults don't really listen to Coraline no. either. She's on her own, you know? There's one part in the book where she calls the police. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because her parents go missing, and she's like, they're gone. I don't know what to do. You know, there's a couple, there's a day or two where she just, like, feeds herself and... Uh, doesn't know where to turn. She tells Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, her downstairs neighbors, and they're like, oh, that's nice. Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, they're like, I'm sure yeah, they'll turn it's up. It's fine. Um, and the police, like, don't really believe her either. Um, but you get that a lot in the book. Like, the adults won't listen, and, you know, Coraline's on her own. She has to solve this and figure it out. Well, and the best recurring element of that is just her name. Yeah. And every adult calls her Caroline. Uh-huh. And she's constantly correcting them, and no one no gets one her listens. right yeah. ever. They always call her Caroline, <laughs> and it's so funny. Actually, it's so funny. Uh, when you read this to me, Yeah, that was one of the funniest parts was 
you know, it'd say, oh, yeah. oh, hello, Caroline. It's Coraline, said Coraline. Oh, Caroline, he said to Coraline. Like, you yeah. had to keep jumping back and forth between yeah, saying the two. Yeah, I messed it up a little bit. I mean, it was, it was like a, a Inevitable. exercise of reading. It was funny. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and so the other side characters, too, you have um, Miss Fink and Miss Fort. Forcible? Forcible. Forcible, uh, who live below them in yeah. this flat. Uh, they're great. Mm-hmm. They're definitely my favorite of the oh two. Oh my gosh, yeah. They're retired actresses. And in the book, I, 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 I read a little bit back trying to decipher it. Uh-huh. In the movie, they clearly are like former burlesque dancers yeah, of some sort. Definitely. And They don't clearly say it in the book? No, but when they are doing their routine in the book... There were some weird parts where, like, she slaps her thigh. Yeah. And, like, the the dogs, like, the literal dogs in the audience yeah. start barking and going crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I can't tell if they're... I think it's safe to assume that they're burlesque entertainers. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to fit their personalities. Yeah. Uh, and then Bobinski, Mr. Mr. Yeah. Bobinski, who lives upstairs, who, very different in the book and movie. Yeah. Uh, he has a mouse... Circus? circus he's mm-hmm. setting up uh the real mr the, or not the real mr bobinski <laughs> <laughs> the the book mr bobinski yeah um is kind of this old like man who takes time like getting down the stairs and things yeah whereas the movie version is this former like gymnast trapeze circus yeah. artist who's russian mm-hmm. i think he's still supposed to be some kind of slavic russian yeah uh, in the book but yeah he's a, he's definitely different um, something interesting about that is like you never see the mice. No, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you do in the movie, but in the book, you don't really. She never sees the mice. Yeah, the his mice. His mice. Yeah. It's just the mice that are in the uh, other world, mm-hmm. which are really rats. So that's sort of interesting. Like, are there really mice or? Well, I guess yeah. I don't know. I... I'm not sure if the mice early on that led her to the door were Bobinski's mice or... Yeah, that's in the movie, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess just both times they... Oh, wait. So how does she find the door in the book? Uh, She just is looking around the house and finds it. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I, I, I got, got it mixed up. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of the same setup. Yeah, and an um, interesting part that's different is in the book... You know, she goes into the door and goes into the other world and then is, you know, looking around at stuff. I think she goes and sees Miss Bank and Miss Forcible and she sees the rats perform and, you know, her mom cooks for her. Her other mother cooks for her and everything. And then they're like, hey, come stay with us and we're going to sew these buttons on your eyes. And Coraline's like, no, thank you. I'm going (laughs) to leave now. And the other mother lets her leave. Mm -hmm. Um, She's like, okay, fine. Like, you know, we will expect you back. You know, we love you, blah, blah, blah. Coraline leaves. And when she gets back, she realizes her parents are gone. And then she has to go back in for them. We're in the movie. She takes a few trips to the other world. Which I kind of... I like better in the movie. Yeah. Because it, um, in the book, you know, it's one trip, she leaves, and her parents have disappeared. Yeah. Her real parents. Mm-hmm. And her fake parents in this other world that she discovers have taken them. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the movie, she, like, you know, she makes a few trips, and she really 
starts to enjoy the other world yeah, better than make, her real they one. They make the other world seem more desirable and it kind of explains why other children have fallen into this trap and yeah. let her sew the buttons on. Uh, because in the book, it was kind of like, oh, we have food for you. And like, there's creepy rats. Like Coraline yeah. finds the performances kind of creepy by the rats uh-huh. and Miss Pink Enforceable. She doesn't really enjoy yeah, she it. Doesn't, she doesn't enjoy either. She... <laughs> so it's like the other mother did not do a good job no. <laughs> of making the world seem like good enough well, to stay. <laughs> and also the other mother in the movie, she the only difference is that she has the buttons for eyes at first when she sees the other mother. Yeah. But in the book, she describes the other mother right away as being like more slender. Yeah. She has longer. Ni- She's already in spider mode yeah. when she first <laughs> finds her in the book. Yeah. So it's, you can totally understand why Coraline's like, oh, I'm going to go. I don't know if I really <laughs> want to be here. Yeah. You kind of have weird shows. The food's okay, but you're kind of a creepy spider woman. I can already tell. So I think I'm going to head out. I'm going to get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and and by making a few trips back and forth, it creates a better contrast. And she, between her life, her actual life and this fake one, yeah, and she really does uh, start to fall for the fake yeah, world. More. Yeah, sort of like you know, get into it and be like, okay, I want to stay, you know. And then when she does see the buttons. She's like, mm, no, that something's off, you yeah. know? And she's been warned, like, a billion times in the movie. <laughs> like, there's, like, 15 warnings in yeah. the movie that are like, don't go through the door. Danger is in your future. It's like, a big fucking mistake. <laughs> don't do it, Coraline. And she's like, but the chicken that I'm eating yeah. and the smoothie. My and- parents are so boring. And, and YB can't talk in this one, and I like... <laughs> yeah. That was kind of funny. (laughs) It was. It it was a funny touch. Yeah. Um, Oh, something. um, So I like that they established the other world better in the movie. Like, I do like that. Um, But something that I like in the book uh, more than the movie is that they establish Coraline's reasons for doing stuff a little bit more. Um, And one section that I really want to talk about is when Coraline talks about bravery Oh, yeah. Um, so and at this point, she's like talking to the cat because uh, her parents have been kidnapped and she realizes that they're in the other world and the other mother has taken them. And so she's like, I have to go back for them. And she tells this story to the cat uh, about her dad and her kind of wandering around and then getting attacked by wasps. And he tells her to run and then comes behind her. And, and he sort of lets her get away so she doesn't get stung and Uh, sort of like shields her from them and then he ends up going back like a day later to get his glasses that he dropped and he told Coraline you know I wasn't brave for like shielding you from the wasps because I was in that moment and I just knew I had to do it so I did it but I was brave to go back to the wasps because I knew what I was going into and I was scared but I still did it. Yeah, it's it's a great little uh, parable or story yeah. and kind of sums up in kind of a child's perspective what bravery is. Yeah, and it's a sweet moment, too, to think about mm-hmm. like her and her dad and this, you know, happening to them and him kind of teaching her about bravery. And the cat makes a comment to her like, so you're going back because your dad saved you one time from wasps? And she's <laughs> like, no, because they're my parents and I have to, you know? Yeah. So I like that a lot. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great moment, and Neil Gaiman's writing. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I think 
You've definitely read more Neil Gaiman than I have. Yeah, I have. I've read a, a few of his works. So. I've read half of the Sandman mm-hmm. like comics so far. We both read uh, Good Omens. Yeah, and I also read. We well, we both read uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's something about his writing. You know, I was freshening up on this book before we recorded. Yeah, and. I meant to only like skim through stuff, get the notes, but I was just, I started reading it and yeah, I couldn't stop. Yeah, I know. Same here. I was like, I'm just going to read this. His descriptions are great and everything. He's a great writer. What I really like about his stories, and you know, this is a fairy tale. I would describe it as a fairy tale, mm-hmm. um, is that what he talks about, it feels like it already exists. Yeah. Like it feels like this folktale or this evil other mother, like already is kind of like a bedtime story that kids are told or, you know, kids are afraid of it or it's like this myth, you know? He created it. I'm sure he drew from a lot of sources, but it just feels like it's so right, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think of like the ocean at the end of the lane yeah, and how there's like magic in that Mm -hmm. story. But he kind of talks a lot of it, it about it in a scientific way. Yeah. About like atoms and like electrons and like, or that's how they describe the magic. Yeah. The, the women doing it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's something about his, he goes into it just enough to kind of let you know what's going on yeah. and how he it works. He doesn't fully explain things. No. Though. And he's not afraid to just let things lie. You yeah. Know? Like Coraline asks the cat, you know, what is she? And the cat doesn't answer her yeah you know it's like he might not know or he might and he just isn't saying you know there's like we don't know what the other mother is no and her motives are also kind of vague Mm -hmm. in terms of the cat said i don't know if she wants to love something else besides herself or if she just wants to eat you if she's just really hungry it's kind of tough to say (laughs) probably doesn't matter but and there's a moment too where the other mother tells Coraline, you know that i love you and Coraline's like yeah I do because I know that you do love me, but it's like really twisted and you want to like own me, you know? Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I guess we can probably get into this part where, you know, she goes back, her parents are gone. Yeah. And she has to make the decision to go back and find them. And mm-hmm. in the book, this is like in the first third of the oh, book. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the movie, though, this is set up as like the third act, the beginning of the third act, mm-hmm. her decision to go back and save her parents. Yeah. Which. I guess works for me in both ways. Yeah. It feels like a better third act setup. Yeah, more exciting, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of always interesting to me to talk about the structure of books versus movies because books oftentimes are way more kind of organically told. Yeah. Whereas the movie is set up in a three-act structure, usually mm-hmm. more precisely, which I enjoy and kind of works well for a movie, but, you know... They're just... Uh, There's more freedom with books sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that, sometimes. And they can still work. But I agree that it, the third part of the movie is like, oh, now now we got to do it. We got to figure everything real. out, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Coraline goes back and, you know, tries to find her parents and ends up making a deal with the other mother to play a game to try to find the souls of the three dead children that she already sucked the hearts and souls out of. Yeah. And to also find her parents. Yeah, so, and I guess I'll draw this comparison now, Mm because I thought it the first time I saw the movie, and I still think it every time I watch it, and I'd 
love to know if they were thinking about this when it was written and made, but from then on, when she's finding these three, the souls of these three children, yeah. it's so much like a video game. Really? Yeah, it, it's cra- <laughs> it's really weird. So, uh, In the movie? Yeah, maybe pr- probably mm-hmm. more in the movie. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the... Um, to the garden, yeah, which is something I want to talk about later. But she mm-hmm. goes to the garden where her other father is driving this mechanical bug thing, yeah, and it just feels so like Doctor, like in Sonic the Hedgehog when Doctor Robotnik's piloting like a, <laughs> you know, a machine, mm-hmm. and she kind of has to run away from it, and eventually it's defeated. It sinks into uh, the pond, and after it's defeated, she gets like the soul, yeah, the, the glass, the marble, yeah, the marbles, it? I think. And so, and that's so much like a Zelda game when you beat a boss and you get like a heart piece or you get like a token. Yeah. Well, and then the rest of the world, that space like crumbles. Yeah. Everything turns to like gray, ashy color, which is yeah. another thing. I'm like, this feels like. It does. It looks really cool. It looks awesome. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's another thing that felt so much like a video game. Yeah. And like all three of, and it's like, and just that setup of having to find three of something. Yeah. You have to go and find them and like mm-hmm. defeat an enemy mm-hmm. and get a token to prove that you did it. Yeah. Like that's such a, you know, standard video game setup, specifically with Zelda. Even the um, thing she looks through, the stone with the hole oh, in it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's almost directly from a Zelda game. Really? Like a, a, an object that it was like a lens that you mm-hmm. look through and it shows you what's really there or not really there. Uh, so that stone is like a real mythological thing. Oh, really? Um, it's called a hag stone or an adder stone, witch stone, uh, that type of thing. And uh, in folklore, it will either ward off evil for you or you'll be able to see like through illusions or be able to see into other worlds like fairy. Uh, huh. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I had no idea about that. I really like that aspect of it. Like she's looking through this like almost protection and to see what's real in this other world. Mm-hmm. Well, even um, in the, I think in the book and the movie, they refer to the other mother as the bell dam. Yes. The bell dam. That's another thing rooted in mythology. history and myth- mm-hmm. mythology of like, what is it? Like the old woman, the old woman, uh, lures witch. children. Yeah. She's a witch and she lures them. goes back to that, you know, Hansel and Gretel type, you know, like yeah. luring the kids into the forest, you know, but it's such a great word. Oh, yeah. The the, the bell dam. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard it before this story. And I'm like, that's really great. Yeah. It's a great name. Mm-hmm. I guess in the book, the first one she finds is just in a toy box, right? Yeah, it's the just in her soul. toy box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but in the movie. It's in the garden. It's in the garden. Which gardening, I guess I wanted to mention. Yeah, it's like not a part of the book at all. No, not at all. <laughs> but it's a great kind of metaphor in the movie uh-huh. where there's kind of this withering gross garden outside mm-hmm. and her parents both write for a gardening, a gardening magazine. magazine but they don't like but, to garden yeah they don't garden <laughs> and um but the gardening kind of becomes this uh symbol of kind of the dissatisfaction or discontent yeah both among the parents and Coraline mm-hmm. uh where and with the character design the mother wears a neck brace the whole time. Yeah. That they only vaguely allude to. Yeah, there's some kind of accident. There's some kind of accident. Coraline was kind of responsible. They don't get into it a whole lot. Yeah. But she says that's why she can't garden, mm-hmm. I think, at the moment. I don't know. But it, it, it's nice, though, because at the end of the book, uh, in the movie, the resolution is kind of them all gardening. Yeah, And together. fixing up the garden. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brings everyone together. Yeah. And it's, it, it's nice. It's just a nice kind of metaphor and kind of... <sighs> Uh, symbol of 
you know, the family coming together at the end. So I do like that aspect of the movie. Yeah. And then uh, the second marble that she gets is at, for Miss Spink and Forceful. Yeah. And that scene is so creepy because it's when she goes into the theater in the book and there's some kind of like throbbing spider-like egg sac yeah. on the wall. Like this organic. Yeah, like a bug thing. And Coraline sees that one of the marbles is in there. And so she has to like stick her hand in it to try to pull it out. I forget how Neil Gaiman described it. I just remember being completely grossed out reading it. Yeah. He, he did such a good job. It was horrifying. The movie, it's very similar in mm-hmm. setup. Um, but instead of like a gross biological egg sack, they're in a taffy wrapper. A taffy wrapper. Which is, which is great because it, you know, <laughs> and harkens. And then they're made out of taffy. Yeah, and then they're made of taffy. <laughs> and it's funny, but still super kind of creepy yeah. and freaky, but uh, a little more uh, tame. Yeah. And it does refer back to their characters in the real world. I think of like alien type egg sacks on a wall. You yeah. know what I mean? Almost like something that you would see in a horror movie. Oh my god. Where it like will burst out at any moment. Ugh, I'm having flashes <laughs> to like videos I've seen online of like spider egg oh sacks okay. opening. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, so in the third uh, Marble episode she has to go up to Mr. Bobinski's apartment and um, it turns out that he's made out of rats. <laughs> yeah, yes, he's human human rats. Human rats. Also, there's an interesting part there where Mr. Bobinski is trying to convince her to stay. And he's like, it's so great here. You can do whatever you want. Like, we can make new worlds for you. Like, everything will be the way you want it. And Coraline is kind of like, you don't get it. Nobody wants to have everything that they want. Because then it doesn't mean anything. And Mr. Bobinski's like, I don't understand. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And Coraline says, that's because you're just a poor copy of the real Mr. Bobinski. Yeah. And then he's like, not even that now. And then he disintegrates into rats. (laughs) Yeah. I I just, I like. (laughs) Yeah. And that, so that carried over from the book into the movie. Yeah. She doesn't go into it as much. She just says, you don't understand. She doesn't talk as much about like. Nobody really wants to have everything that they want, but it's sort of implied. And uh, it's cool, though, because in the book, that's the moment that she realizes where her parents are. Mm. Um, Because she noticed there was a snow globe on the mantelpiece in the other world. And she thought, like, oh, that's weird. There isn't a snow globe on the mantelpiece in my real house. And so when she's like, the other mother can only make a copy of something she can't make anything new she realizes that her parents are trapped there because the only reason there'd be something new would be to like contain her parents you know yeah so that's kind of interesting yeah in the movie the one thing i really like and it's something that a lot of movies do all the time but kind of gets not overlooked but people take it for granted yeah is in in movies or kind of movie theory i guess it's called chekhov's gun Mm. Where, I think I'm getting that right, I'm sorry if I'm (laughs) wrong and you're yelling at me, but it's where if a guy, a filmmaker, or someone said, if you show a gun, Mm -hmm. like, sitting on a table or somewhere in, like, the first act of a movie, it better be used to shoot someone in the third act. Yeah. So it's all about establishing things well. And this Mm -hmm. movie does a really great job of establishing stuff 
earlier on and then especially in this like final, final act, act when things are going crazy mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff pays off like yeah. the cotton candy guns cotton candy they guns. start shooting the cotton candy at her mm-hmm. um uh miss the garden shears the garden shears yeah mm-hmm. uh something she uses when she's fighting fending off the garden at the mm-hmm. beginning you know she had those in the real world early on just a lot of and the movie does an expert job of setting all that stuff up, like the taffy. Yeah. How they're made of taffy and they were yeah. constantly giving her taffy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's something that I think people don't appreciate usually about movies because it's so hidden. Yeah. Which it kind of should be. It shouldn't draw too much attention to itself. No, but you notice when it's not there because you're like, wait, why is this happening? You Absolutely. Know? Mm-hmm. So that's something I think this movie did a great job at. Well, let's talk quickly about um, the encounter that happened in the book. Oh, yeah. That didn't happen in the movies with the the other father. So in the movie, she has the encounter with the other father in the garden. Yes. Um, But in the book, she actually has a different encounter with him. Um, And the other mother sort of tries to throw her off the scent of uh, the finding things because she's already found the three marbles. And so she just needs to find her parents now. And so she ends up going... Well, actually, I think this happens before she finds a third marble. Anyway. Yeah, it's in the middle. Yeah, she she goes into the empty apartment across from them and down into the basement. Yeah, and so she goes into this creepy cellar that would give anyone nightmares. And yeah. she finds the creature of all of our nightmares, her the melting grub grub <laughs> figure of what was her other father who yeah. they established well in both the and in the movie too he kind of starts to become deformed yeah except, and lose his shape and lose his shape mm-hmm. except in the movie he kind of turns into a pumpkin yeah which makes sense you know it goes the back garden. to that gardening thing mm-hmm. but in the movie or in the book he just turns into this gross doughy larva, larva insect thing with stick arms yeah and no teeth and it like a it, doughy face a doughy face and it's just it's horrifying it's so horrifying yeah and so it attacks her mm-hmm and she has to get away from it, which she does. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just a it's, it's a creepy. It's very creepy. I think it's interesting because in the book, all of the people besides Mr. Bubinski, who turns into rats, are like related to insects. Yeah. So the other mother is obviously a spider. You know, we see that in the book and in the movie. Miss um, Spink and Miss Forcible are kind of these something in like a larva type thing or an egg or yeah. in some kind of jelly sack um and then the father is uh like a larva a bug larva a fat yeah white, yeah gross <laughs> maggot or something <laughs> yeah it's it's really terrifying mm-hmm. uh so yes yeah, so she gets all three we covered all three and then yeah. she goes back to confront her other mother uh-huh and her other mother is full on spider demon woman. In spider mode. In spider mode. <laughs> and in the I, movie, there's more of a like confrontation with her falling in the web, which I liked. Yeah, yeah. And the visuals of that were so great. The way the floorboards lifted up and it yeah. turned into a web. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I should say I love the character. I love the character designs of this movie in general. Oh yeah. But the other mother, especially at oh that God. point, yeah. The her the way she just slowly turns into a creepy, yeah, ass monster. She becomes more sunken, yeah, and pointy, mm-hmm. but tall and slender. And then she gets like this discoloration on her face, like yeah, her face becomes cracked, mm-hmm. and uh, she's just she's really terrifying. Yeah. 
and the book and movie play out pretty much the same. Yeah, with her transformation. Yeah, mm-hmm. the transformation. She throws the cat yeah. at her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cat claws, <laughs> claws the crap out of her face. Yeah. And she grabs the snow globe and gets through the door. Mm-hmm. And the, there's a confrontation. There's a fight. The ghost children help her to shut the door. Yeah. Um, something I want to mention about the book, though, and I love this, is that the passageway is alive. Oh, yeah. In the book. And in the movie, it's like kind of this glowy tunnel. And then when Coraline's going through it later, it's all like cobwebby and old mm-hmm. looking. In the book, they describe it whenever she's going through it as something uh, old, something very old and something very slow. And that's like oh, creepy yeah. in the beginning. And then when she's finally trying to leave it, she's like running along the corridor and it feels warm and yeah. like somebody's breathing. And then when she's really close to getting to the other side, to her own apartment, she like touches the wall and she like screams because it feels like a mouth, all squishy and wet, like a mouth. Which sets up the other world like it's some kind of creature. Yeah, yeah. Like the other mother, I don't know if she's just a representation of like if the world itself is the monster. Yeah. And she's just kind or of Or like a, the old, that world was there before the other mother. And yeah. And it's also evil. It was crazy. More of that Neil Gaiman just kind of like <laughs> hinting at something. Yeah. Not getting too much into it, but mm-hmm. really leaving you... Uh, little creeped out about it which is awesome it's so great and then uh so you know she gets her parents back but the story isn't over because the other mother's hand is still after her yeah it gets uh cut off in the doorway when Mm -hmm. she closes the door and the horror elements of the movie and the book too but the movie i thought of it more while watching it are so good yeah and really amped up and kind of creepy mm-hmm. and there's just not no specific references i can think of to any movies but like something about the hand reaching through is yeah. kind of classic you know and her hand in the movie the design of it is very pointy and metal kind yeah. of like a freddy krueger hand mm-hmm. a little bit and i love the moment when she's going through the doorway and at the end of the tunnel the doorway to the other world as she's banging on it for her to come back and screaming each time she bangs on it 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 like it jumps closer Mm -hmm. just the the design of it and the way it was filmed and everything was so good and so kind of classic horror Mm -hmm. terrifying yeah and the way she gets rid of the hand and the key uh it's a little bit different in the movie and the book but you know it's pretty similar in the way that in the book, it's more like Coraline has to figure it out and sort of plans this trap for the hand. She puts the key right over the well, um, and the hand ends up jumping on it and then falling into the well. Yeah. Um, in the movie, it's more like Coraline is just trying to get rid of the key, and then there's the battle, and YB comes in. YB comes in and ends up helping her to finally throw the key and the hand into the dark well forever. Yeah, I do like YB showing up. Yeah, that's um, cool. At the end, it's kind of a... It adds to the tension, because then YB's like going to fall in the well, and mm-hmm. the hand's still after Coraline. It's a really good kind of action sequence it at is. the end. Yeah. And kind of is a payoff for YB as a character mm-hmm. to kind of come in and like help her like that at the end. Yeah. 
Uh, I enjoyed that. And it definitely cements their kind of friendship now that they were kind of antagonistic towards each other. At the, points. At yeah. points throughout the movie. But uh, this was kind of... Them coming together. Them coming together at the end, which was nice. Yeah. You know, the end in the movie is the gardening scene. Mm-hmm. And... And in the book, it's Coraline just sort of being satisfied with herself and about to start school, I think, in the next couple days. And, you know, she's just feeling, like, not scared anymore of anything. So I like that. Yeah, it's kind of a quieter ending in the book, which Mm -hmm. makes sense. You don't kind of need... You kind of need more of a visual, I think, at the end of the movie. But both end uh, really well, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just a bunch of, like, random stuff I want to mention. Shakespeare is a big part of the movie, which I love. They quote Shakespeare all the time, a Miss Spink and Miss Forcible. I, I, yeah, I know Miss Spink and Miss Forcible in mm-hmm. the performance. Or and there's like Hamlet. a Shakespeare festival going on in the town yeah. that you see when you go in. Uh, let's see. The crazy, crazy Miss Spink and Miss Forcible show that they oh do in Oh my God, yeah, movie. in the movie. It is so good. Oh my God. I can't, like, <laughs> you know, this is pretty much pitched as a kid's movie. Yeah. But it's Miss Spink and Forcible. They're... Pretty much naked. Pretty much <laughs> naked, their old selves. Miss, I forget if it's Spink or Forcible. Yeah. Just enormous boobs <laughs> with just like pasties on them. Oh my God, it's so funny. And I love that Coraline is just like, she loves it kind of. She yeah, thinks but it's she's super also funny. Horrified. She's also horrified, <laughs> but kind of loves it. And I just like that the movie was like, let's go all the way with this. Yeah. Whereas I think in the book, they were in the, they were just performing their yeah. young their younger selves off the bat though I yeah no they weren't not immediately oh I'm oh. sorry I'm I'm, ju- I'm jumping all around <laughs> I'm remembering things as I'm talking yeah. so yeah uh what else anything else well, that's all I wanted to talk about I think yeah the uh I w- want to say the music was really good oh yeah mm-hmm. um just the different points that there's during the guard when she first sees the garden in the uh, other world mm-hmm. there's just kind of this great musical music background to it and when she's kind of just exploring at the beginning of the movie yeah i read that it's kind of an audio um or a vocal um musical background but they're not actually saying anything it's just kind of this like faint Mm -hmm. childlike singing but it's just like jumbled or like made up words which is kind of cool um Coraline man Coraline. It's a really good book, and the movie is really fun to watch. And yeah, and cool. if, if anyone's thinking like, oh, it's a kid's book, I, you know, it might be good as a kid's book, but mm-hmm. I probably won't like it, definitely read it. Yeah, it's worth it. Uh, Neil Gaiman likes to say that it scares a lot of adults, but kids don't really find it scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, really know why, um, but it's, it's very creepy, and I loved that about it, so... Yeah, and I would definitely like to talk about more, uh, more Neil Gaiman, more Neil Gaiman in the future. Also, more animated movies. Something I really yeah. wanted to say was that, and I think I mentioned it briefly at the beginning, was that animation. One of the things I like is that if it's a movie or a story that is both grounded in reality, yeah, but also goes to a crazy place, uh-huh. animation's so good for that because it is, yeah. when you're animating the mundane, boring life. And then go into the craziness. It's kind of a fluid transition. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of movies, if it's which this originally this was going to be a live adaptation. I did read that. Uh, mm-hmm. Dakota Fanning was on board to actually act out in the part of Coraline, mm-hmm. and then she ended up doing the voice, which I think she did a great job. Oh as yeah, the voice. she's good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes celebrity voices in movies are kind of cash grab, or yeah. you, you know, they're kind of they're not the best. But she did a great job 
Um, anyway, what was I saying? <laughs> um, oh, oh, so the fluid transition. It, ma- it makes me think of The Incredibles yeah. a bit, where it's a movie that has a lot of mundane, normal, boring life. Mm-hmm. But then when it goes into the craziness, yeah. you know, it's still the same experience in a way, whereas in a lot of movies... It suddenly turns into a CGI. Yeah, that's whack, true. Like yeah. just crazy. Like Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Oh yeah, my like God. it. There might be like a grounded part at the beginning where it's just Alice and like other human beings, and then suddenly it's just you're so distracted by all the CGI. Yeah. Whereas in a story like this, where it's all animation from the beginning, mm-hmm. you're kind of not questioning that or you're not thinking about it as much. So Yeah, and I really like the stop motion animation. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like, I mean, it's similar to uh, Nightmare Before, The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and Giant Peach in that it's a kid's movie, but it's like there's a lot of scary things yeah. and it gets dark. And I don't know if that's really well done with animation or stop motion, but... I love that sort of subgenre, you yeah. know, in animation and in kids' movies that, you know, there's this slightly more edgy, like, horror element-ish to uh, these animated movies. Yeah. So. Yeah. They, uh, especially stop motion, kind of tends to do that sometimes. Yeah. But, which is great, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And stop motion in itself is it's kind of not a paradox, but, like, I'm sure they could see like computer animate something to look just like stop motion. Yeah. But I love that people take the time mm-hmm. to do it. And on one hand, like you, you're not thinking about it, but you kind of are. And yeah. that's what makes it so impressive is like every once in a while, I'll kind of remind myself like, oh my God, someone. Stop motion. Someone yeah. like this was a physical thing that existed that someone had to animate. And yeah. I, I, they I, had like puppets of all yeah. this. Yeah. And you kind of wonder how they did certain things. And I just love stop motion for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really well done movie. Uh, and the book is obviously amazing too. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Check it out. <laughs> Check both out. They're yeah. both great. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's that's about it. Yep. That wraps it up. Mm-hmm. So thanks for listening to this episode of Cover to Credits. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are Cover to Credits, number two, like a Fast and Furious sequel. <laughs> um, you can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. Uh, you know, email or tweet us with thoughts or questions. And what do you think of Coraline? Yeah, tell us we're idiots. We didn't get it at all. <laughs> or things you would want to see us uh, do in future podcasts. Absolutely, that you guys we, like. we really want to know what people uh, would want to hear us talk about. So definitely email or tweet us. Tweet, tweet us. <laughs> God damn it. Tweet at us. <laughs> <laughs> tweet at us. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.